0: Today on BASIC, Beavis and Butthead creator, Mike Judge. I
1: just went for a walk, and the names and the whole idea for frog baseball came to me in like two or three minutes at that. One of the first things that was discussed was, well, what about making them animated VJs? I don't imagine them talking to camera, really, like in holding a microphone and being like Kennedy and Duff. I said, what, what if they're just talking to each other and watching the videos? It ended up really helping me develop the characters to have to just improv over those videos. It was really, it, it worked out well. Uh, I think a lot of it might have been a reaction to what TV was in the 80s, maybe. I remember Connie Chung at the end of Some Bitch saying, and MTV has gone so far as to name a show Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, everyone, and welcome to BASIC, the official podcast of the unofficial history of BASIC cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, former TV executive and fan of the great Cornholio.
0: And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I need TP for my bunghole. I can't believe you made me do that, Doug. I cannot.
2: (laughs) Well, we both had to do it, Jen, or it wasn't going to work, so.
0: We'll let (laughs) let our listeners decide whether that worked or not.
2: (laughs) We will find out. Send all your emails to Jen, by the way. (laughs) Today we are joined by one of the great comic minds of our generation. He's responsible for seminal and hilarious projects like King of the Hill, Office Space, and Silicon Valley. But it all started on basic cable with Beavis and Butthead on MTV.
0: If you weren't there, it's hard to convey what a big deal Beavis and Butthead was when it debuted on MTV in 1992. It was hilarious. It was outrageous. It was controversial. And it was really dumb and really smart all at the same time.
2: Thirty years later, Mike has brought the guys back with a new movie, Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe, and it debuts June 23rd on Paramount+. Plus.
0: So let's get right into it with Mike Judge, and then afterward, Doug and I will be back to break it all down.
2: All right, Mike Judge, welcome to Basic. We always start off by asking our guests, do you remember when you got cable and what you were watching back then?
1: Yes, I, I do. The very first time... I was I was a sophomore in college. Uh, I think it would have been like 81, 82. Five of us living in a condo. I was renting the breakfast nook for like $130 <laughs> a month. I don't even know. I think we all pitched in. I think I paid my share. Uh, we got cable there, yeah. And all I remember, and I'm not just saying this because it's Doug Herzog, but all I remember is MTV had just come on. I think that's right, right? 82, 81, something like that. 81. Yeah, 81. 81, 81. Yeah, we just watched a lot of MTV, you know. Um, that's all I remember. I don't know. Were there shows? We had that cable box at the... The thing slid along the bottom. That's how you change a channel. But it had a cord that went to the TV. Oh, right. Yeah. But uh, but I would, yeah, I would veg out and watch MTV back then when it was a new thing.
0: Well, you are you are hardly the only one who did that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, several of our guests have said that too. So in your early years, you, I think you lived in Guatemala when you were really young and then eventually moved to New Mexico.
1: Or Guayaquil, uh, um, Ecuador. Yeah. I was born, born in Ecuador. Yeah. Then New Mexico. Yeah. Then New Mexico.
0: Okay. So I'm just curious, looking back on your youth, to what extent was there any Beavis and or Butthead in you as a kid?
1: Maybe a tiny bit of Beavis. I mean, but not not much. I mean, it's, you know, I was actually just during when the pandemic hit, kind of writing a sort of autobiography thing. And when I did, when I created Beavis and Butthead, especially when this, it became a show and I started doing it, a lot of times I wouldn't realize where something was coming from until after I'd already done it so there's, there's many, there's no one-to-one of this character is that character. I mean, as far as how much of it is me, maybe there's a little bit of the dynamic of me and my brother, my older brother. I mean, neither of us are idiots. I would like to think, but he, (laughs) it just sort of the dynamic of, you know, him being the kind of alpha and me being the more of a goofball, I guess is it true? I thought I read this in, uh, on your wiki. Is it true that
2: you actually sold even before Frog baseball, which we'll get to in a minute that you sold something to comedy Central uh, sort of
1: a, a yeah, so the first cartoon I finished was actually called office space you know i'd got I'd gotten a bolex movie camera that for two hundred bucks and a, and an animation peg bar and all this stuff and i I did a little test and it worked, and so i that was my I was attempting to try to do lip sync to see if that would work. I did it with a stopwatch and that was I just recorded myself doing that bit. I couldn't believe it actually worked. And then I you know, I just like the just handful of people I showed it to seemed to think it was funny. So I I finished another one and yeah, mailed out a tape. I'd drawn Beavis and Buddha, I hadn't animated them yet. It was a show called Night After Night with Alan Havey on Comedy Central.
2: Oh, on on the Comedy
1: Channel. Comedy Channel. You're right. It was before Comedy Central. (laughs) Right. It was about, it turned, it merged with the Ha Network, I think. And became Comedy Central, yeah. It became Comedy Central probably like, I don't know, I want to say six months or something. I think it was August of 91 when it aired, because it was the first time I'd ever had anything on TV. The guest that night was Lily Tomlin, who I grew up (laughs) watching, so... I just thought this is the coolest thing. My cartoon is on this show, and there's Lily Tomlin, who everyone's heard of. And then when I they flew me up there to talk about doing more, that was the other bizarre So I'm getting flown to New York because of this cartoon I made. And uh, Terry Gilliam was happened to be the guest that Oh, my God. Day, and that was pretty amazing for me to be able to uh, meet him. And I
2: was going to say, animation icon.
1: Yeah, and, and Monty Python, you know, like icon.
0: So, you mentioned earlier that you had drawn sketches of Beavis and Butthead before you did Frog Baseball. So, how did you take those sketches and figure out sort of what to do with them to make them an animated mini story?
1: I just went for a walk, and the whole, the names and the whole idea for Frog Baseball came to me in like, I don't know, just two or three minutes, if that. I'd overheard a kid talking about playing Frog Baseball. As actually, he was an adult, but he was talking about, he was like, Yeah, we used to play <laughs> f- frog baseball over there. And I, this is when I was an engineer, actually. And I, and I'm looking over and, and I'm going, God, did he mean what I think he meant? And he, the guy he was talking to kind of walked away from him, look, shaking his head, like, Oh, God, you guys really <laughs> did that. And uh, that had just stuck in my head. And I, I just thought of how these teenage kids, but I mean, growing up in Albuquerque, it just seems like there's just, there were just unsupervised maniac. 14 year old running around, and they came to me pretty quickly.
2: How did Frog Baseball ultimately come to the attention of MTV?
1: Well, so kind of around the same time that I'd gotten that first one on TV, uh, there was some, you know, there's like the Animation Celebration, the Festival of Animation. There was a bunch of those that would play in like indie theaters. They'd be like compilations of all the Oscar-nominated shorts and just right. and the tourney of animation, and then there was the, sick and twisted show and all that. I had another one of just this uh redneck schlub watching a health food commercial that I'd I'd done and then a third one with the inbred Jed character. Those were already starting to get some attention, I guess. Um and Liquid Television, when that that show came on right around the time I was doing all this and I couldn't believe it. There's an actual show on MTV that has Independent animated shorts on it. It was just, I thought this is too good to be true. I mean, if it, if I was ever able to get anything on there. And so, yeah, I just actually sent a tape to an animation magazine that said that Colossal Pictures was what they were called in San Francisco, was looking for shorts or, or it was, um, you know, also looking for animators. Anyway, I sent them a tape and this guy, I, I sent a resume too that listed some, because I used to be a musician, some people that I played with, like Doyle Bramhall. It's got Anson Funderburg and Sam Myers. And anyway, this guy recognized them and called me really just to talk music and then just said, yeah, we can't really do anything with your tape. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I guess it just somehow it got to someone else over there. Oh, what was her? Prudence Fenton called me. But that, right after I'd finished Beavis and Butthead, she called me about the other ones. And I said, oh, I got a new one. You got to see. Let me send that to. I had just finished it. I overnighted it, t- a tape to them with the others, with all of them on. And then I didn't hear back for like a week. And I thought, okay, I have her number. I'll, I'll call to check in. And she said, oh, we still haven't gotten to it, but uh, we'll let you know. And about, I don't know, like a half hour later, I get a call and I can hear people laughing in the background. <laughs> and uh, she's saying, oh, we really love this. And I was just like through the roof. I'm like, oh man, my stuff might get on liquid television now. So that's how it came to MTV.
2: Yeah, for those who don't remember Liquid Television, as Mike said, it was this half-hour show weekly, an anthology of independent animation, and also, uh, I, I guess, the big hit on on Liquid Television at the time was Aeon Flux, mm-hmm. uh, which also later got turned into a feature film.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was some amazing animation.
0: So, in in terms of breaking viewers and butthead out into its own show, I mean, essentially the show was two or three shorts with these music video kind of interstitials. Yeah, sort of stitch them together but how did you arrive at that format was that something that did somebody at mtv suggest that or how did that happen
1: the way i remember it at first when it was you know when they did a deal with me just to to have the characters i they flew me up there and had a sort of a general meeting i didn't really know what they i don't know if they were sure either what they wanted to do with the characters and uh one of the first things that was discussed was well what about making them animated vjs (laughs) <laughs> and I I thought, okay, but I mean, I was sort of in a position of oh, I'll do whatever you guys want, but I kept coming back to like, I don't, I don't imagine them talking to camera really like and holding a microphone and being like whoever the VJs at the time, Kennedy and Duff and all that. Like I, I said, what, well, uh, what if they're just talking to each other and watching the videos and there'd been, there'd been a show Well, there'd been mystery science theater, whatever mm-hmm. 2000 had just come out. There was also Julie Brown. She did, she later had her sketch show, right? On Fox but Right, the other Julie Brown, not the other Julie, gun, Julie not Brown. That, Yeah, the other Julie Brown that had the sketch show. I remember she was on MTV briefly. The prom Queen's got a gun, Excuse Julie. Excuse
0: me. The homecoming queen.
1: Oh, the yeah, homecoming yes, queen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Julie Brown. I I remember seeing her around that time do hosting some kind of show where she's introducing a music video and then she goes she goes, uh, don't worry, I'm not gonna make you watch it alone. And she grabs a folding lawn chair and just goes and sits. Kind of, you see her, you see the video full screen, but she's just green screened on sitting there. You're kind of looking behind her watching the video with you, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, Mike, that
2: was part of our great VidCom experiment at MTV.
1: Everything in those days was like, yeah, you can do whatever you
2: want, but you got to show video.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's about where we were at. I mean, it ended up really helping me develop the characters to have to just improv over those videos. It was really, it it worked out well. I think. But yeah, that that's how I remember. And oh, and then I said, you know, well, David Felton was also known as the oldest MTV staff writer, former Rolling Stone writer, Pulitzer Prize winner. Pulitzer
2: Prize winner. Yeah. yeah and,
1: and was just a really funny guy. Anyway, he was, I don't know, he was sort of a big advocate of saying, you know, it should be more than just watching these videos, you know, let's have a two minute cartoon in the middle of each segment too. And those grew to you Know, like five minutes and then six or seven eventually, but yeah, that's how it came about. We did a pilot using the two shorts I'd done, Frog Baseball, and the one where they go to a monster truck show. I remember the first time that we, I, I said, Uh, gets I just was, was suggesting videos and I I wanted the most serious one I could think of, and it, it was, Uh, Nothing Compares to You. Why can I'm blanking on her name, the shaved head? Sinead
0: O'Connor, Sinead O'Connor, Sinead O'Connor
1: yeah. It was funny because. The editor was just slugging in, like, just to see what it looks like cutting to the couch and back to the video. So it was just a shot of Beavis and butt not saying a word, just sitting there. And it, it just got a big laugh. Anytime it cut to these two dumbasses on the couch. I thought, wow, this is almost too easy. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: when you finish the pilot. We took
2: it out and tested it because we did a lot of that. We yeah, we oh, yeah. run stuff. We always wanted to run stuff by the audience, so this is a focus group of young men, probably teenage boys. Cool
0: that you invited the women. Thank you.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> they had a female groups too.
0: I was a fan of Beavers and Butthead. Yeah.
2: We would always do the groups separately, actually, because at that age there was, you know, they were so uncomfortable with each other that you would have to do separate boys and girls groups. But so, so these young guys, we show the Beavis and Butthead pilot to, and when we're finished and they were excused and on their way out. They all asked if they could buy it. Like, hmm, <laughs> I, we may be onto yeah. something here. They're like, oh, they yeah. like, can we buy that tape? <laughs> As they were filing out, they were like, literally, can we buy that tape? Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, how much does that
1: tape cost. I remember Judy McGrath saying she'd never heard that from a focus group. I remember that kid too. There was <laughs> that. Well, Abby sent me a tape of the focus groups. I remember a bunch of things about it, but um, yeah, I remember him asking if he could buy the tape, and and then also. The segment he showed me, they had just shown some other liquid television stuff. And I I think Eon Flux had just ended. And I remember this one kid going, that was stupid. And I just thought of like all the work and amazing animation and goes into this and just some (laughs) of those stupid, which really kind of inspired some Beavis and Butthead though so there so there was a feedback loop going there but you know focus groups i guess they tend to be they'll be like a leader that kind of influences everyone else in the group women in chicago in their 20s and it was just it went around the hated it hated it hated it, hated it. and then it got to the new jersey girls and it was like <laughs> this loved it oh my god and and go and there was one girl who didn't like it and then they all got pissed at her and got in an argument <laughs> and uh <laughs> kind of similar to the arguments and discussions that went on about the show when it came out. So those focus groups, I guess, are probably pretty useful.
0: You know, obviously, Beavis and Butthead became hugely popular, became a phenomenon. And of course, when, when something like that happens, you become a magnet for for controversy. Oh, yeah. You know, some of the conservative groups are complaining about the show. And there was, was even a moment when um, a parent accused the show of teaching her kid how to set fires. And, and that's why he set their trailer home on fire. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to deal with. Um, how did you handle all that kind of criticism at the time?
1: I mean, well, it's awful. First of all, I mean, it's hard sure. to like, you know, my daughter was around the same age as as, as the girl that got killed. What, what had happened is my understanding and you can look this up. Mm-hmm. It was at, at a trailer park and this woman had left to go on a date, a five year old and a I think one and a half year old alone. And child abandonment basically kid was playing with a lighter that she left out and he started a fire and burned the place down and the kid the younger one died and and i guess the police were questioning her and she just said well he's he's been watching beavis and butthead and that became the headline that that they were looking for is beavis and butthead caused the death of a kid and it was the headline of every major network news thing i mean yeah, it was really awful. Turned out they did not get cable at at this trailer park.
0: Oh, is I'm that trying, right?
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, that that little tiny correction came out later. He had it. He'd likely never seen it. It was just she was trying to say something to to deflect. Yeah, to deflect. Yeah, and and it, this was around that time where I, I guess there wasn't a lot of news going on in the world, and like the you know there was no the the wall had come down, and 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 it just I don't know for some reason it was that year ninety three where. All the everyone was like, there's too much violence on TV. They had no statistics. They would just do anecdotal stuff. And it just became a thing of like and, and then Beavis and Butthead was the worst show ever for and it, it was uh I remember Connie Chung before it had ever gone on the air, she's at the end of some bitch saying, And MTV has gone so far as to name a show Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> like this is just the worst TV is hit rock bottom. It's just... Uh, so it was a, definitely a magnet for all of that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, there's a reason we're not talking to Connie Chung today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, where are you, Connie yeah. Chung?
2: But the show got show got moved to eleven o'clock after several controversies, right? Which I was kind of a bummer. Yeah, right?
1: I mean, I guess it was. Except I was I was arguing with a lot of them about how, I thought they were rerunning it too many times. So well, for sure. Well,
0: I beg to disagree.
1: But, <laughs> <laughs> the way I remember it was. Well, we had to remove the word fire entirely from the – because Beavis had a thing that he would just go to like fire, fire. And I I thought we were going to stop going forward. I didn't know we were going to take the word out of every single episode. And that that was a bigger bummer than moving to 11. I mean, I understood it. I, I, I don't know. It's It was – but it was also sort of giving in, you know, which
2: – MTV always, unfortunately, overreacted to these
1: things. Yes, Yeah.
2: To the point where they they would take the word fire out. And instead of kind of holding their ground a little bit, it's something I, I learned to do a little better when I got to Comedy Central, but mtv you know anyway so whether it was heavy metal or beavis and butthead or well, everything they always took it to heart and took it a little farther than they had to sometimes i thought specifically with beavis certain things needed to be changed and were changed i don't know that this was one. i
1: think david felton used to say because uh, he wanted to do an episode about this actually david felton used to say it just one letter from one person could cause the entire network to react and take something off
2: in its own weird way, all of that controversy around Beavis is part of the reason South Park ended up on Comedy Central. Because oh, when we were when we were bidding against, I was at Comedy Central at this point. We were bidding against MTV. I had convinced the guys to go look. You know, look what Mike Judge just went through. They're, you know, because, no, I said it, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a teen, it's a teen audience, and they're not going to let you do the show you want to do there. And that kind of convinced them oh. to come to Comedy Central. Oh, where good. Convinced we would have a, quote, adult audience. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it's worked out for everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad glad it happened that way.
0: To that, to that point about South Park, we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast, just how during the 90s and, and really into the early 2000s, like... There were just a lot of shows in that kind of vein of dumb, but also very smart at the same time and like very male, or at least perceived as being very male oriented. What was it about that time period? And what, what was it about Beavis and Butthead that you think struck such a chord?
1: I think a lot of it might've been a reaction to what TV was in the eighties, maybe the way sitcoms had become or like, I mean, the Cosby show was very much like just everybody's going to Ivy league schools. Everybody's just great and perfect and wonderful. And TV had gotten very much like that. Uh, and then uh, something like Married with Children, that was kind of the first to sort of cut against that a little bit. You know, you saw it in music too. Like, I mean, when I first saw NWA, like like before that had been MC Hammer, like flashy, shiny stuff. And all of a sudden there's guys just wearing just black shirts and a baseball cap and just, I don't know, that's my armchair theory is that some of it might have been a reaction to just, you know, the pendulum always seems to swing and it's kind of swinging back from whatever the 80s had been.
0: I know that you have a, a a new movie coming out, I believe, maybe this yes. summer or this year.
1: Yes. There's a we're days away from announcing the actual date, so I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but it's very soon this summer. Okay. I'm in the midst of it. Yeah, a new movie and the series reboot. Oh really? Yeah, which will come in I think I can say that'll come after the movie, right after.
0: <clears throat> well, and will that be on Paramount Plus or?
1: Yeah, all on Paramount okay. Plus. Yeah.
0: And will they still be watching music videos?
1: Yes, they will actually. And other stuff, TikTok videos, (laughs) uh, different YouTube videos and shows.
2: What's it like to revisit those characters, not only many years later, but just at, you know, such a different point in your life?
1: (laughs) You know, I'd kind of question that, like, how much longer could I do this? And then I did a thing for uh, the band Portugal, the man, they wanted Beavis and Buddy introducing them. Coachella. It was like three years ago, maybe. It was before the pandemic. I hadn't done the voices in so long. It's not like I ever do that in my spare time. I don't, went and did it. And I thought, oh, it still sounds like them. You know, Nancy Cartwright's still doing Bart. I think she's older than me. And Bart's younger than Beavis ButtHead. Yeah, I thought, oh, that was actually kind of fun. And when they came to me, I mean, there was a, this idea for the movie. It's going to be the dumbest outer space movie ever made. That's a high bar, Mike. It's very, <laughs> uh, I can, yeah, I know. It's Dumber than Contact or anything. <laughs> I mean, that's the dumb ones. <laughs> I, I think, uh, anyway, the, I, it it sort of sets them up in a way that I think felt kind of relevant. It starts in 98 when the last of the original episodes ended. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it got to be when we started writing it, it was just really fun to do. And we're also, there'll be some episodes where they're middle-aged also. And those have been really fun to do. It oh sort of gosh. splits off into, into two. And those have been really fun. Hey, Mike, I I got one story I'm going to ask you
2: if you, A, remember, and B, would share. Um, Oh, sure. And that is the night of
1: the 1994 Northridge earthquake. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We were all out there. You were there too, right? Or you got there after, right? I'm the idiot who flew in the next morning. That's yeah, story. I remember but, that. Yeah. But <laughs> just to set
2: the stage, you were out there for the Cable Ace Awards, right? Yeah. Right, a hotel full of celebrities, the Four Seasons, yes, right? Was, I was, and you could take it from there. Yeah, I was
1: at the Four Seasons. It's fun. My, my assistant at the time, Sarah Duffy, I she'd said, uh, okay, they want to book it the Four Seasons. Is that okay? And I remember my manager saying, uh, asking him, and he said, oh, it's a really nice, older hotel. And, and I said, I don't know. That's an older hotel, right? She said, I don't know. So what? And I said, I don't know. You know, earthquakes. And she goes, "Oh Jesus!" And I said, "Okay, I'll stay there." And I remember checking in. I was on the seventh floor, and I remember look because I was thinking earthquakes when I'd go to L.A. And I, I look out the window, and I'm like, "Oh, there's the swimming pools down there, like on the second floor or something like that." And I thought, "Well, I could jump out the window and land in the pool and maybe survive." I, don't, I, I swear <laughs> to God, I thought of this stuff. So yeah, I was like 4:30 in the morning, and like like so many other people i happened to be awake i'd gotten i had to pee or something i got up and hadn't fallen back to sleep yet and yeah it was just like the like someone took the building and just like and i've never felt i've been through earthquakes when i was in college little ones in san diego but like anyway i like a dumbass i'm going straight to the balcony thinking i'm going to jump in the pool and (laughs) which is like the worst place to be because they're falling glass and stuff and i I fell on the way there because the ground is going all over the place you could hear the building cracking I thought it was just coming down and i I opened the door and just look out and you just see transformers exploding and and the, the water in the pool was just going crazy. I immediately threw on my bathrobe and just ran the emergency lights were down in the stairwell and i I come out onto the Barton Way the street on the side and a cab driver's was taxi <laughs> and- <laughs> I said, wait, there's an earthquake, right? He goes, Yes, big earthquake. Taxi? <laughs> and then I went out to the I went around to the front and just celebrities started pouring out in their bathrobes. Like I, I saw like, you know, it was like Walter conkright Al Pacino.
2: Tony Bennett. Remember oh, oh, yeah, Tony Bennett, Bennett, Bennett was there?
1: there was uh, yeah. yeah, I I've lost like the interesting thing is. Everyone dropped their celebrity because everyone was so freaked out. So it was just like, I remember there was some people are just tourists from Iowa that, and they're talking to like Rosie O'Donnell and all, all these, all these famous people. Oh, but I remember at one point like Al Pacino, just, he didn't, he didn't have a basketball. He just, he looked like, like he did in, at the end of Scarface or something. He, he's just like walking through, the, looked completely freaked out, more pissed off than freaked out. And you just like, just parts through everyone and then just goes and just walks out into the night. I don't know where, where it was going. <laughs>
2: It was uh it was quite I remember arriving the next morning in, in the hotel lobby. Everybody was down the lobby, they were too freaked out to be in the room. It was like the fall of Saigon or something. Yeah. You know, like everybody trying to figure out how to get out of town, which we did, Mike. I know you, you guys remember, got, right? we, we, we got we, me out of we, town we, too. We got you, <laughs>
1: we,
2: yeah, we flew you and John Stewart, a bunch of people home. We got on a commercial uh, Red Eye that night. And you were living in Westchester, if I
1: recall. Oh, that's that, right. John. You and I took a cab.
2: Yeah, and I, you and I took a cab, and you. By the way, I don't know if you also remember we, oh, I remember, we landed in a snowstorm. Yeah, it was,
1: it was snow and, and all over. The we're, we're,
2: yeah, we're fishtailing it all the way up to Westchester, yeah. and I remember you were the first person I ever saw put a seatbelt on in the back of a cab.
1: Yeah, I was like, we're, we were way ahead of your time. I survived this far. I got to got to see my. It was just my daughter at the time. My younger one hadn't been born yet. But I, yeah, I was like, I got to get home alive. <laughs> I, I also remember on the plane, I was next to John Stewart, and. I was reading that book alive about the. the Not a good know. choice for anyone. I, <laughs> I know. I know. John was like, "What? Are you really going to read that right now?"
0: <laughs> Obviously, after Beavers and Butthead, you worked on a million different things. Uh, you know, King of the Hill, etc. But your movie Idiocracy um, has become. <laughs> Unfortunately, more and more relevant. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and I I was just curious, you know, what it's been like watching people finally start talking about that about that movie again.
1: Part of it is, you know, like it's good for me, bad for the world. Maybe I don't know. Like I, that and Office Space both became popular after a lot, like quite a while after they came out. And uh, I want to have movies be popular when they come out, but uh, (laughs) I don't do much many movies anymore. But that one, you know, it's like it's weird. I felt like. I mean, I'm always glad to hear anyone say they like it or anything i that one from from the first day we were in production, I felt like the movie was cursed like everything went wrong it was an impossible schedule it was you know it was supposed to take place during a drought. It was the rainiest summer in Austin in a long time, so we were constantly having to kill grass, which does not feel very good, you know to make it look barren and I feel like maybe that curse spread throughout the world after it or something. Now I'm not superstitious. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, having just spent so much time and just having such a rough time making it and and the studio didn't like it. I mean, I can't really blame them. It was a hard one to market. A lot of times someone will post something on Twitter or something. And like somebody recently posted a picture of, uh, we had this gigantic Costco digital shot and they posted that with a picture of an Amazon warehouse in Mexico with all the kind of very like kind of slum areas around it and uh yeah. it's like oh yeah stuff just kept coming like actually when crocs so you know we all remember crocs i'm sure so crocs we shot the movie in 2004 there were no crocs out there and our wardrobe um anyway she she showed me these pictures of she said this is a startup uh, they're making these ridiculous plastic shoes and and i and i said oh yeah those are kind of ridiculous and i said but what if they're not out yet what happens if we do the movie and then they're all over the place. And she said, Oh, that's not going to happen. No one's going to ever buy these things. (laughs) And then sure enough, like when the movie came out, I remember showing it to a friend of mine and there's a close-up of the Luke Wilson's foot on the gas. And he goes, Oh, that's funny that you put those ridiculous croc shoes on him. And I was like, Oh no, I I wanted everything. I didn't want anything to seem like it's from present day, you know? So that then, you know, after the crocs, it was one thing after another, here we are.
2: Hey, Mike, our traditional final question is What is your all time favorite basic cable television
1: show? Ren and Stimpy comes to mind, I guess. Like, just yeah. that, like that was like that show was really just absolutely incredible animation that dropped in the middle of just animation have gotten so bad leading up to. I mean, The Simpsons is great, but that's not also not basic cable. Did Ren and Stimpy precede
2: Beavis and ButtHead? Or? Yeah,
1: just before. Yeah, I could like just it. come yeah. on, and I, you know, there's also, I mean, South Park, and then you know, like Sopranos and Breaking Bad. I mean, there's all these great shows.
0: Well, except Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, Ren, is,
1: Ren and Stimpy is. Yeah, that's a great answer. No
0: one said Ren and Stimpy yet, Oh, so good. That's good. Okay.
2: <laughs> Plus, you mentioned the Cable Ace Awards, which you know, <laughs> we're gonna have to do a whole special episode <laughs> on at some point.
0: We will. We should. Yes,
2: actually, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we should. We. <laughs> Yeah, I, was, I think we should revive them. Uh, you and I <laughs> should give out the awards as we're now basic cable experts.
0: Our producer is shaking his head in disgust.
2: <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> Mike, um, thanks so much for being here today. We, uh, we really appreciate
1: having you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Well, that was a fascinating conversation with Mike Judge. Funny, interesting, but I can't stop thinking about what we were discussing in terms of, you know, Beavis and ButtHead and some of the other shows that we've we've talked about on this podcast, as a backlash to the quote unquote PC movement of the '90s, Um, because I, I feel like we're still dealing with we're still dealing with that, but in a completely different context now.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been like flip, like everything else has been flipped on its head. Yes, you know, when particularly when I got to Comedy Central in the mid '90s, you know, I saw that as an opportunity in a world that was at the time, again, at the time, was becoming increasingly PC, you know, things like South Park um, and even the early version, you know, of The Daily Show and a lot of things we were doing on Comedy Central, we had something to rail against and the audience, you know, seemed to come along and like it. But now, more than 20 years, 25 years later, the world has evolved and changed in many, many, many ways and political correctness almost takes on a different connotation these days.
0: It's a completely different connotation. I mean, in the 90s it was the idea of kind of going against political correctness was a sign you're being edgy and you're you're really doing some daring material. To me it, there were a lot of liberal people that were like anti-PC, quote unquote. Very much so. And now it's completely it's completely different. It's like PC has become kind of uh, a synonym for if I'm not PC, that means I'm being honest, but actually you're being an asshole. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and I think a lot of the, I mean, if you look at, this is not to blow this up too big, but like a lot of the comedy that came out, not just on basic cable, but in general, like in the nineties and into the two thousands, you think about things like 30 rock and arrested development and a lot of other shows where it would do things that were not quote unquote PC, but as to satirize. The fact right. that, but a lot of people watched it and didn't get that, that it was satire. That's certainly an issue on South Park as well. And I think a lot of people look back on those shows now and they're like, gosh, these jokes that you thought were so funny, they're really punching down. And I think that initial kind of anti-PC sentiment in the early nineties gave way to these things. And now, like you said, it's been flipped on its head and it just, not necessarily with Beavers and Butthead, but but I think some of it doesn't sit the same way that it that it used to.
2: No, nothing does. I mean, go back and watch anything really old south parks beavis and butthead old 30 rocks old offices yeah they feel very different when you're watching them in 2022 than they did 5 10 15 or 20 years ago it's it's really it's really incredible pc in the 90s when i was in the comedy business and you were kind of making fun of the pc era at that point it felt like you were making fun of authority mhm right and 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 now it's it's kind of flipped the other way. Uh, it's it's fascinating. It really 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 is fascinating. I'll be curious to see what Mike has in store for Beavis and Butthead on the new series he talked about, and on the forthcoming movie. I'll be curious to see how the characters hold up uh, amidst all this.
0: Yeah, I mean the characters have come back occasionally over the years, but bringing them back on what he's describing, where they're not just watching music videos, but like TikTok um, and stuff like that. Like, I and, and I also think that the whole the whole idea of watching other people watch something, which as he he was saying, mystery science theater was doing that. Beavis and Butthead was doing that, but that's what, you know, a lot of people watch on the internet. I know my son from a very young age, it was like, I'm watching somebody watch somebody play a video game, or I'm watching this person watching this thing and commenting on it. And I think coming full circle back to that with Beavis and Butthead should be pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I I always forget somehow uh, when I'm talking about, you know, where the world was when South Park started, but Uh, Beavis and Butthead was there first, and they certainly made the world safe for a show like South Park and then after that Family Guy and everything that came after that. But at that moment, when Beavis and Butthead came on, it was probably the edgiest thing on television, you know, outside of The Simpsons or Married with
0: Children or something like that. Right. Well, I mean, I would argue that Beavis and Butthead couldn't have existed if The Simpsons hadn't existed first. Um, I think that's true of probably... Every animated show <laughs> post-1989. It's probably right. But yeah, I remember watching it with um, you know, my friends. We were, we loved Beavis and Butthead. There was this ad, and maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. There was one summer where it was just, it was on constantly. And there was like this commercial that was like, America Rejoice. Beavis and Butthead is coming every night. And and we would say America Rejoice, like all the time. Still do sometimes. <laughs>
2: Well, as I like to say about those days at MTV, I've probably said it here, you know, whatever was worth doing was worth overdoing. So if Beavis was working, (laughs) you can be sure we're going to put it on as much as possible and every night. So speaking of which, um, we hope you come back every week to join uh, Jen and I on BASIC. We uh, enjoyed having Mike Judge and we enjoyed having you. We'll see you next time. BASIC is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Cheney.
0: And Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain. And Peter Ferrioli.
2: Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer.
0: Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson.
2: Edited by Zach Spisner.
0: You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't Don't forget forget to follow the the show so you never miss an an episode. episode.